everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. So the first drama that I wanted to discuss or potentially rant madly about, I haven't decided yet, um, is a drama that is currently airing at the moment. And um, as I record this in 2019, it will still be airing over the next few months up until December the 15th. Um, I, you know, when I first started watching K-dramas, I was all about the long haul. Like if I started something, I would fucking finish it, even if it was driving me crazy. But the result of that is I would end up forcing myself to watch something that just wasn't working for me and I would feel poisonous towards it by the end like I would fucking hate it so much and these days there isn't that many dramas that I kind of hate with that kind of passion anymore just because you know if something's not working for me these days I just fucking stop watching it like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but for me, watching K-dramas is a joy. It is an escape. It is, you know, it's it's the time that you get to go and do something for yourself that is just a pure joy. So why would I force myself to watch something I don't enjoy during, you know, the time that I get in, in a very busy life that I get to carve out just for myself and my own passions? So this drama is an interesting one because it kind of falls between love and hate. There's elements of it that I kind of want to keep watching for and elements that I don't. And I realize I haven't even mentioned the name of it yet. So this drama is called Beautiful Love, Wonderful Life. Apparently it's going to have 24 episodes, which feels way too long for me, considering that I I think I've watched six. Um, And I think I think I'm checking out at this point. I don't think I'm going to continue with it. Although there's definitely some stuff going on there to like, but I kind of wanted to talk about why it's not kind of working for me. Um, So I guess to backtrack, the the main reason that I chose to watch this uh, was two reasons. It is absolutely marketed like a contemporary fluffy romance. It looks, you know, like one of these human dramas, lots of different couples, a lot of complications. And also it stars um, a dude called Kim Jae-yong, who was in 100 Days My Prince. So if you've listened to my you know, podcast episode about that drama, 100 Days My Prince, he was kind of a side character and he played this assassin with awesome eyebrows and he was great in it. Like he was really, really good in it. Um, I really, really liked him in it. So I saw he was doing this and I was like, eh, you know, I'll give that a go. I'll check it out and see what I think. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm not really sure what I think. This is a really 
fucking confusing drama, actually, because I think particularly if you look at all the promo stuff and, you know, all the marketing stuff, it is just, you know, it's all pastel colors. It's all smiling and it's it really creates a vibe and a tone that is very much aligned with, you know, stuff like Secretary Kim or, um, you know, these kind of modern rom-coms set in contemporary Korea. That's that's the vibe that this, this show has really been pushed as. But when you begin to watch it, you realize it is not that at all, um, which can be a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's more of a melodrama. But the biggest problem that I have with this show is that it's, it's not either a sweet rom-com or, you know, a dark melodrama. It is both. And I have a real problem sometimes with shows that swing that wildly from scene to scene. So for instance, in this show, we've got a scene which is basically a young girl crying over the suicided body of a 15 year old boy. And it is dark as fuck. And you're kind of like your heart's beating and you're like, oh my God, this is fucked up. This is terrible. I feel so sorry for these people. This is awful. And then the very next scene that's like a cutaway is, you know, that crying girl's older sister um, swanning around a department store and like getting bitchy with this rich guy's mom and trying to chase a table to marry. And it has that kind of real quirky music behind it where you're supposed to like, you know that there's no stakes in it. You know, you know, it's just a quirky, funny, you know, cute romantic scene. And then it'll swing back to, you know, a dead boy lying on the fucking rocks beside a river who's just drowned himself. And you, it's intense. Like, and it, the tonal shifts for me were just giving me whiplash. And I guess the problem is like, I don't mind the idea of the money hungry girl going after the table. And that's an interesting enough storyline. It's not like I have a problem with it, but also in context of a drama where such intense tragedy is happening, how the fuck am I supposed to care about a woman who wants to marry someone rich and then gets upset because she can't or whatever? Like the stakes in that storyline are just so non-existent compared to the other storyline that's happening adjacent to it in the same drama that you know it really just sucks everything out of it that it just seems so trivial I suppose and then it makes you really fucking detest that character because you know she's she's trivial (laughs) compared to what's going on in in the kind of main storyline interestingly enough um the thing that I I liked the most about this show is the female lead. She's an actress I haven't seen before. Her name is Sol Inna and she plays a character called Kim Chonga. Um, Chonga, the character, is very sweet and lovely. And I just think this actress does such a wonderful job. And I always think it's interesting when you kind of follow maybe an actor or an actress to a drama and then they don't really stand out that much in this drama. Maybe it was just the character that you liked made you follow them. And in the end, you kind of come away from this one with a completely different sort of a standout I suppose like a standout reason to watch this is the absolute fucking charmingness of this main actress she is just beautiful and gold and sweet and lovely and I loved her and the one thing I'm a bit sad about in deciding not to kind of continue with this complete I think a bit of a train wreck of a show maybe is because I am really interested in the character Chonga and her storyline it's so fucking interesting but 
it doesn't get much screen time, you know, compared to everything else. Like, I think this is a bit of a family drama and it has like, you know, all these grumpy old dad and this screamy, screechy old chable lady who does nothing but shout at her staff. And it's like you end up watching half an episode of grumpy old dad farting on his kid or, you know, screechy old chable lady just fucking firing all her staff and screaming at them instead of watching, you know, charming, wonderful Chonga deal with the fact that she has seen this boy kill himself and it has given her a new lease on life when she wanted to kill herself. So um, I guess what I'll do is just tell you guys a little bit about the story. Um, Obviously, I haven't so it's kind of like five episodes basically of just complete setup and that's I didn't enjoy all of it but I did enjoy the main storyline but I didn't enjoy the fallout of it but I just pushed through because I could tell I could just feel that we were going towards a time jump and this was all set up for when the main story began and the main story would be whatever the drama was and I did I made it I think episode five or six or something was skip forward about a year and start getting stuck into the actual story for what it was but unfortunately the stuff that I was most interested in was clearly not going to get enough screen time as opposed to all the screechy boring old douchey adults stuff that I just don't think I can actually handle watching this drama long term which is a real fucking shame because there is a thread in there that I'm madly interested in so I'll just tell you a little bit about the first episode because I actually think the first episode was very very good it kind of opens with these two different families and you don't know how they're connected and what's going on there's a kind of a poorer family that have three daughters a little tiny one and then an older one who's the sort of money hungry woman who's trying to get a rich husband and then the middle daughter who is a school student in her last year of school and she sort of seems like you know I guess it's that middle daughter syndrome everyone everyone in the family sort of putting their shit on her she can't do anything right it's not fully vicious but people are yelling at her a little bit and I didn't love it and this character of course is Chonga so Chonga even though everyone's sort of being a bit douchey to her in my opinion she she ends up sort of going around in the morning and she's going to school but she sort of says weird goodbyes to everyone to the point where you're like what is this? What is she doing? It's like she's leaving. It's like she's going to travel somewhere and not come back. I'm like, she's running away. What's going on? And meanwhile, there's this very rich, swanky um, family living in this rich, swanky, really ugly apartment. And the mother is a judge. So she's obviously a single mum. I don't know what happened to the husband or whatever. And she has two sons. One is a school age and the other one is on a break from armies doing his mandatory service. Um, And again, you see that the younger boy, the student, is sort of, he's just being weird. He's being very loving towards his family and you can tell that in his own way he's saying goodbye. But there's some sort of mystery about the judge sort of maybe getting involved in a hit and run where a teen has hit someone and they've died in a car and being some teen or someone has been like indicted for you. It's kind of confusing and I didn't really understand how it fitted. But when I kept seeing this young son who he was acting like he was saying goodbye, I thought, is he going to jail? Like, is he admitting that he did this or have they just not told the older brother that, you know, he's actually 
you know, in trouble for this and is going to get put away in a juvie or something. I just couldn't tell what was going on. And it was really well done. It was a very sort of slow meandery, introduce all the characters, introduce like a normal morning in all their lives, except that you could tell these two students in these two different families were just being weird. So it was a great mystery. And then Chong Ah gets on a train and she's going somewhere instead of going to school. And she's sitting across from this young guy who is dressed in, you know, an army outfit and he's going back to army. And of course, it's the older brother from this kind of rich, swanky apartment house. And his name is Jun Hui. And he's played by that actor, Kim Jae-yong, who, you know, he's fine in this, but frankly, he's not even in it that much. So he didn't, you know, really make an impression on me at all. So anyway, this young soldier, Jun Hui, like they just have sort of a meet cute um, on the train and she's just absolutely taken with him because he's, you know, so good looking or whatever. And they just have a really weird thing where she's sort of very hysterical and emotional and she's sort of saying like, I can't believe I've met, you know, this perfect guy on my last day. This is my final day. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, what is, what's going on? And anyway, they have a big fight, but, you know, they really notice each other and everything and she's just totally into him and he's just like oh my god get the fuck off me this weird weird girl like and then he goes on his way and she hops off the train at the station and she meets someone there and of course it's the younger brother the young boy so her and this young student guy who's the younger brother of the army dude um you don't get what's going on but they just sort of spend this beautiful day together and then you realize that they've um, hired a room in this sort of um, you know really isolated sort of little town and they've hired a little hotel room with a beautiful view of the mountains and they're fucking taping up the gaps around the window and they have all this weird stuff and you realize what's going on they've never met each other before and they have made a suicide pact and it's intense you know And so they kind of share their reasons and the young boy student says that he eats people and um, (laughs) I told my family member this and he got like super upset. He's like, what does that even mean? And I'm like, it's metaphorical. And he was like, no, it can't be. So anyway, it was completely metaphorical. Um, This young boy does not actually literally eat anyone. It was just a really nice metaphor for, you know, gobbling people up and chewing them out, like destroying lives. Um, But we don't really get what he means. But of course, there's this hint to this little um, hit and run mystery. So, I mean, it's a pretty obvious guess that he has been involved. It looks like potentially now that maybe he's gotten away with it, but the guilt is obviously eating him up alive. And he sort of says this to Chong'a and Chong'a is very, very sweet. And she sort of tells him that she's getting bullied and you realize that she's just her entire body is covered in the most awful bruises and she's obviously getting treated so badly at school and she just can't handle it anymore and she's very embarrassed she's like I know there's only six months left but I just can't do it anymore and she feels like a bit of a failure that she's giving up but also she just she has and so the two of them go off and they spend this really beautiful day together just hanging out and walking around and eating dokbuki and stuff like that and it's really really nice and then they go back for a sleep or whatever and she wakes up and he's left her a note and he's gone off and drowned himself in the river and his note basically says you know I am you know it's my fault like I'm a perpetrator of something bad like I did that but you are a victim, so you can't give in. You have to survive. And he basically says that her life will be better now because he 
will be watching over her and he will be helping her. And it's it's very emotional, you know, it's really, really dark. She goes and fishes him out of the river and he's this young dead student and she tries to resuscitate him and he's just gone and it's devastating. So of course she calls her mum and her mum comes and her mum decides they need to pretend uh, that it wasn't a suicide pact because maybe her daughter could get done for aiding and abetting a suicide. And then they just keep talking in the show about the idea of people at Chong'a's school finding out that she tried to kill herself or was involved in the suicide pact and how that will completely ruin her life. And it almost seems like the drama is saying it's more a fear of what that kind of rumour mongering and that level of bullying when it intensifies will be over, you know, the, the worry of actual legal action. But of course, the dead boy's mother is an actual judge. She's pretty sure something's happened. She's really suspicious of Chonga. She can tell that there's lies. And then we get like fucking four episodes of just screaming and crying and fallout. You know what? It is fallout over a death, but it's just... I don't know. I didn't like enjoy watching it at all. I think that could have been condensed. I don't think we needed that many episodes. The older brother doesn't even know that his younger brother's dead. He's just off in army. He's completely off screen. I'm pretty sure the actor is actually like filming another fucking drama. So they've just sort of cut him out for the first six episodes of the show, which is pretty weird because he's sort of the main male lead. And this is the problem. Like, I guess this is the part where the drama just got really stupid or problematic to me because we're swinging between Chong'a you know crying and her mother protecting her and the judge screaming at them or scheming or trying to solve or the judge's older sister who is a completely bonkers evil like Chaebol lady just screaming and making her go down on her knees and pouring like just fooling fucking bullying shit it's just awful like the kind of stuff that I'm like man if someone rich did that to me in my country I'd just get up and give him a little slap like we just don't have these kind of cultural boundaries where you just have to obey you know like these levels of respect that you have to give and it's you know this is just a cultural difference and it's very interesting but it can be very difficult to watch someone getting just ground down to nothing over and over and over and you Chonga's family like when her dad finds out she's about to kill herself like instead of being a little bit you know a little bit of empathy for her and be like well what's gone wrong what can we do to help he's like fucking slaps her and it's just awful and it just goes on and on and then fucking Chonga's older sister who's the money hungry one realizes that this Chaebol that she might be able to marry is actually you know a cousin of this young boy who's died that her sister is involved in the death and so she just screams at her sister and says it's all her fault and I'm like this girl has been through hell and everyone in her family treats her like hell she basically gets expelled from her family only her mother will see her anymore by the end of this sort of setup it's just fucked up and it's stupid and I did not like it even a little bit and then in between all this just grinding Chonga into a piece of pulp and me having to watch her getting you know, bullied by everybody on screen, loads of screaming endlessly. Uh, we get to see her older sister, Sola, or Sora, um, you know, run around table chasing and trying to get married and shopping and going to the gym and working and I'm with quirky music behind her. And you're just like, what the fuck even is this? Like, what is going on? Why am I watching this? But the thing that frustrates me is there is a really good thread in this story. And for me, that thread is 
is Chong'e. It's her character journey. She's been through, she wanted to kill herself. And through this awful thing that's happened with this young boy, he has given her a reason to live. And she is determined to do her best. But you see a flash forward, um, you know, of a year into the future and she's living in, I think they're called, is it like a gossy one? Um, so she's studying for like a law exam or something and she's just trying to live to her fullest. But at the same time, you know, she's not doing anything great. She's living in this tiny little room and she's got takeout everywhere and she's, you know, just trying and also failing this exam, but she's just trying to be positive in the face of, you know, just doing her best. And it's very admirable. And I also like that she's not high flying or, you know, living this wonderful life. She's just trying her best to live the best that she can. And I really liked that. I thought that was really impressive. And she has, you know, this young boy who died, his student name tag around with her all the time, just to remind her to live, to never give up. And I really like that. She's working odd jobs. It's kind of like, you know, the kind of candy thing, except we have this really deep, dark backstory for her. And then, of course, she gets in, you know, this kind of newer episode thrown into the way with Junhui, who is the older soldier brother who's now out of army and he's working for the company. And, you know, he's a bit of a douche, but he's interesting because he's been so hurt by his younger brother's death. You can kind of tell that he has turned off his emotion. He has this idea that, you know, if he can't, I mean, he's still cranky, so he hasn't turned off his cranky emotion, but, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of empathy. He's decided not to feel things like that for other people. And particularly if you can't change a situation, why should you worry about it? For instance, this man, they kind of see him and his mother are by the river, by Han River. Um, and you see up on the bridge, this old guy's trying to kill himself. And the mother is horrified. You know, it brings back all these memories of her son. And, you know, because I think she suspects, she doesn't know, but she suspects that perhaps he did kill himself. And Junhui just sits there on his phone. He just puts his earphones in and he just doesn't feel anything or care. And the mother's like, you know, how can you watch this and not feel something, you know, feel worried for it. And he's just like, well, if I watch, what difference will it make? You know, will the man live? Will he be more likely to live because I'm here worrying? And then, you know, the mother's like, no, but you, everyone who's watching, they're praying, you know, they're praying that something good happens and that's something you can do. And he's just like, you know, I don't pray. I don't do that anymore. Like, fuck everything, basically. And again, that's an interesting character trait. It's an interesting idea that a guy who's just, you know, the death of his brother has turned him into, in a way, a waking zombie. You know, we've seen that before, but it is one of the ways, I guess, to deal with grief is to turn off, you know, just turn off emotion and then just walk through life. And the opposite has happened to Chong'e because she was ready to die. She turned off everything. She had had enough and now she has reawoken because of the same dead brother. So it's a really great uh, beginning I really like the two couple like every time they're on screen I'm I love it it's really really interesting but unfortunately a hell of a lot of screen time is given up to just all these screamy horrible family members who just scream their heads off non-stop like I would literally just love to throw Chong'a's dad off a cliff he's the worst character that was ever invented the same for, you know, the main male lead, Junhui's fucking aunt, who deserves to be just like punched a little bit. She's just fucking horrible. And I just don't have time to watch such 
horrible people on screen, like just for the sake of them screaming and showing how horrible they are. And I just don't care, you know, and particularly the older sister of Chong'a is, I think, a real problem in the drama because she is so unlikable. Like, I think that they needed to give her a few redeeming factors if she's actually going to be a main protagonist in this drama, which is quite clear that she is. She's getting, you know, as much screen time as Chong'a does. And yet Chong'a is a wonderful, complex, interesting, layered, beautiful, charming character. Her older sister, Sora, is a fucking piece of shit, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) That's probably pretty harsh, but she is. She's got no redeeming factor. She's just not very nice. You know, she's just a money hungry person who has money hungrily married this Chebol who frankly isn't that nice either and just wants her because she's hot and he can afford to sort of buy her in a way and she doesn't love him and he's aware of it. So he's having an affair and she's so shocked that he would have an affair, even though she knows that he's fully aware that she only married him for his money and that she doesn't love him. And I'm like, what did you expect to happen in that situation? And also, why should I, as a viewer, watch you having like a 20 minute meltdown about it and care? Like, I don't care. I don't like you. So, and I'm, you know, there's nothing wrong with unlikable characters, but they should at least be a little bit complex, you know, they should have something going on that makes you interested in them, even if they're very unlikable. And I don't find her interesting. She's a very one note character. Like all I know about her is that she's a fucking horrible person to her family and her younger sister. She has no empathy for anyone and all she cares about is money, but we're not even really given a reason why she only cares about these things. Why is she so ambitious? Like, Is she embarrassed of her family being so poor? She doesn't give that impression. Has she had some sort of experience where she was humiliated for being poor? Like, we don't know. We haven't seen that. Like, she seems very well liked, very well dressed. Everyone, you know, looks up to her. She's a news anchor woman and she's very respected and popular. Like, I just don't get what who she is. You know, it's I think that's to be honest, I think that that's bad writing. If you're writing a character that has a goal and they're that unlikable, you've got to give someone a reason to watch them try and achieve their goal. You've got to do something. You've got to make them feel like a person that is a bit multifaceted. And I just don't feel like she is. She's just such a piece of cardboard and she's boring and she's taking up like half of this entire drama and It sucks because the main storyline in this, I can see being very interesting. Um, It's obviously going like once the flash forward comes through, it's obviously going for a bit more of a lighter sort of romancey vibe and, you know, a bit of meet cute stuff and silly K-drama stuff. And I love it. It's really, really charming. It's nice. And I can see that, you know, they could have a real bickering hate to love kind of romance. She has a best friend who's this dude who's clearly in love with her that, you know, will cause problems, a bit of a love triangle thing. But in the end, you know, all these deep, dark emotions are going to come out and it's that is kind of good writing. You know, because in a lot of these sort of frothy romances, you have the stage where the couple, you know, of course, they're going to have a problem and not be able to get together. And if you haven't written in a proper reason for them to have a problem, that's when the drama starts spinning its wheels and just being stupid and keeping the couple apart through miscommunication or noble sacrifice. And in this case, 
This couple have a real complex, dark reason to when they realize who each other is to kind of not be together. Like it's proper and it's emotional. And I, I'm really interested in that. But I can't get through the other shit in this drama enough to watch it. So <laughs> I guess that's it. I don't know what else to say. Um, I'd be really interested if anyone else is watching this show. Um, beautiful love, wonderful life. And if you are watching it, if you're loving it, if you're not loving it, how you feel about all the shouty old douchey characters. Um, the one thing I'm, I guess, taking away from this is that the actress Soul Inna is someone to watch. She is wonderful. I really, really liked her performance in this. She's very, very likable and I'll be really interested to see what she does next. And I think I will sort of follow her around and see what she's up to. Um, but in saying that, I think it's time for me at least to pull the plug on this K-drama because it is... I don't even know what it is. And that was the point of this discussion. So that is Beautiful Love, Wonderful Life, which is airing in 2019. Okay, guys, so this is a completely random thing. <laughs> Before, it's not my actual random thing of this week, but I was just um, sort of flicking through some other dramas that the people in um, Beautiful Love, Wonderful Life had been in. And I just found a drama that is called The Master of Revenge. Um, I think it also has, yeah, it has a different English title as well. But I just wanted to read out the synopsis that is written on the internet for this drama. Here it is. When Moo Myung was young, he had a once-in-a-lifetime event. He walked into an orphanage by himself. To take revenge, he attempts to become a god of noodles. That is literally it. That is the synopsis, the plot synopsis of the drama, The Master of Revenge. <laughs> Fucking love it. <laughs> so what I'm talking about next um, is a movie, a Korean movie that came out in 2018. Um, it stars Kang Dong-won and is called Il Young, The Wolf Brigade. So this is an interesting one for me because I've actually it's so it's based on a Japanese anime movie, um, which I watched quite a few years ago, and it's that movie came out in 1999. So I didn't watch it that many years ago, <laughs> but just a couple of years ago I watched it, and just after I watched it, I saw the casting news and you know saw that the Koreans were making a remake of this movie and that Kang Dong Won had been cast as the lead actor. I think he's an amazing actor. I love him. I don't always love his projects I think he's in a lot of really shit movies to be honest but I think he's a wonderful actor and he is in some good movies um but I I just was like so excited when I heard that they were going to make this movie I heard the casting news but literally it took like six fucking years before the movie came out so by the time it came out I was slightly less excited than I was at the beginning um but I was still excited and I went to see it um so the Japanese anime that it's based on. So apparently it's also had two live action films in Japan prior to the anime coming out in 1999. And in Japan, it's called Jinro, the Wolf Brigade. Uh, so it's really interesting. The original story is set in an alternate history Japan in the 1950s, following atomic bombing and occupation of the country. And it is about a kind of a young man who is part of this elite SWAT team who is 
pretty, like this team is pretty scary. I guess they're kind of like these, these really intense, you just do what you're told and get involved in some very dirty kind of shit. So he's sort of, um, on this mission against, you know, terrorists and trying to clean up the city or whatever. But the whole thing's very, you know, the city's very dark. It's very dystopian. It's a very scary place where everything is obviously very severely controlled by the government and very bleak. And so this young man is on this mission and they're fighting people in these like storm drains under the city, like I guess terrorists. And he comes across a terrorist and he is ordered to kill her. She's a very young girl, like she must be in her you know, mid-teens and he just, he hesitates and he can't do it. He can't kill this young girl. So what happens, which is horrifying, is it turns out she really is a terrorist and she blows herself up like she has a suicide bomb thing going on. And, you know, this sort of ricochets this whole big plot that, you know, he gets sent to find her older sister and get to know this young woman and it's a very bleak bleak movie and bleak story but it's very beautifully and nuanced um it's told very slowly it's a very slow burn quiet kind of movie there are a lot of silences and a lot of just images and giving the watcher time to think and you know feel the the bleakness of this I guess um it's a very interesting story it has a very impactful ending that I found very upsetting. The Japanese ending particularly is very, very dark, but it is an extraordinarily told story if you're in the mood for something very slow and dark and scary. So I was really, really excited by Il Young, The Wolf Brigade, which is the Korean version. So I watched it and I really enjoyed it. I don't think it is a perfect movie. I think it... I probably have a weird relationship with Korean movies, um, which is kind of strange because, you know, I just love the dramas. I, I just, I think they are wonderful. I love them so much. But when it comes to movies, I think just the structure of them and the pacing of them always just kind of gets me. It never, and I don't know if that's just a cultural thing that I'm used to stories like shorter form stories in movies being told a very particular way in terms of structure and pacing you know like American movies particularly you know they really really have these kind of three-act structures um you know, very particularly, you know, they kind of, you know, you have the intro and then it rises up to a climax and then you have the fallout where everything goes wrong and then you have the big climax and then it ends, you know. The, these structures are so, I think, ingrained into me from watching so many films um, and obviously not all films fit into that structure, but pacing-wise and story-wise, I still feel that Western films have a very clear-cut kind of feel to them and Korean films are just very very different and I think maybe from my perspective sometimes I feel they're quite meandery they might have scenes that I don't really understand why they're there or they might have so many characters like too many characters and I'm like why don't we just focus on you know just the main ones and give them more time instead of you know so many people that aren't characterized but I don't know if that kind of pacing issue and story issue that I have is just me, me coming from a different culture and, and not quite 
being in tune with what the movie is trying to be. I don't know. Um, you know, there's, I love a lot of different Asian movies. I completely love them. So I, I hope it's not that I've got a cultural barrier that I can't get over because I think I love um, watching and reading and every listening to stuff from other cultures. And I hope that I can just enjoy them for what they are, the art that they are and not have some sort of weird barrier like that, you know, because I know there's so many people out there are like, oh, I can't, you know, watch something with subtitles. And you're like, just experience the world, you know, have access to everything we can now because of the internet. So why not? It's, it's an extraordinary thing, the things that we have access to now. And I love to indulge myself in these things. Um, but I don't know. I don't think this movie is perfect um, for myself. And I don't think it's as good as the Japanese anime. Personally, I think that that movie to me was more impactful and solid. This one is, uh, so the Korean version is kind of a similar setup, but set in Korea. So it's in the year 2029. And South and North Korea have agreed to set up a unified government. So the story is sort of during the preparation time before the unification. And, you know, there's a lot of demonstrators, people supporting and opposing the unification and everything's getting fierce and everything's getting a bit scary. And a terrorist organization has begun to um, arise, I suppose, and begun to take action. And they are against unification. So this special police force is um, this kind of, you know, again, special ops, sort of really scary dudes and Kang Dong-won is with them. So the same setup happens that he kind of gets into this situation where he doesn't kill this girl and this girl ends up blowing herself up and um, it all then descends into him, you know, trying to meet this other woman and very, very slowly and tentatively, I guess it's that whole thing where someone who's maybe you feel like they're very indoctrined to something slowly waking up through the very kind of careful touch of somebody else, you know, emotionally, very tentatively. Um, the ending of this film is not as dark as the Japanese ending. Uh, there's like a hint of happiness, I and it's not happiness at all, but there's hope. So what happens at the end of the Korean one? Well, maybe I won't spoil it, but it, it is a hope-filled ending where not everybody dies in a pool of blood. Whilst in the Japanese one, the ending is such a... Oh, it's a gut punch. Like, it really is very dark. Um, so I guess in Il Young, so the Korean version, there's one scene that I wanted to talk about that was a bit of a standout. And I think it's also kind of goes to show that it's a very different beast of a movie than the Japanese anime. As I said, the anime is very slow and bleak and it's very slow burn. So even when there's action sequences in it, they're very... I guess art-wise, you know, they're very beautiful and dark and scary. Whilst the Korean movie has some extraordinary action pieces, like like edge of your seat, cool fucking action stuff, like really cool stuff. And I think the Japanese movie was a much, quite a more thoughtful sort of affair that it, it wasn't so much about, you know, cool coolness, I suppose, or bombastic cool people running around shooting stuff. And in saying that, I don't mind that difference. I, I think they're different movies. Um, and the Korean one, like it, this big crazy action set piece and this huge thing that happens was one of my favorite moments in the film because it is shot so well. It's so freaking exciting. But what happens is Kang Dong-won uh, takes this young woman um, who is played by Han Hyo-ju. 
So they're both up the top of Namsan Tower in Seoul. And uh, basically everything goes to shit. Like there's all these people there trying to kill them and he's trying to protect her and like fucking hell, I can't even remember, but it's just like madness. And the action of it was awesome. Kung Dong Won was amazing. Like um, it was so cool. And then it ended up with him fucking, I don't know, flying out of Namsan Tower and down on a rope and, you know, car chase. And like, if you like action, it was pretty fucking excellent like it was very very cool so that was a standout for me and then I guess in other areas this movie kind of reminds me I'm not sure if anyone has seen Bittersweet Life uh, with Lee Byung Hung I can never pronounce his name Uh, so that one's quite a long time ago and it was probably one of my probably my first foray into Korean film at all and I remember seeing it late night on TV very late night and I just flicked it on and it was halfway through and it was beautiful. It is a beautiful, dark, violent movie. And I adored it. I loved it. And that was before I knew anything about um, Korean entertainment. Or, you know, I'd never watched a K-drama back then and I just loved it. Um, and it has this very dark, kind of very dark, closed off, emotionless protagonist who is very slowly through the just the mere presence of this young beautiful woman slowly kind of brought back to life in a very very subtle way that doesn't really do anything or end well for anybody but you know it's about that reawakening of emotion like the idea that you could you don't care about anything and you don't give a fuck about the world but little by little because of meeting somebody you start to breathe again and think that maybe just maybe there is something in this world that is a seed of something good. Um, and that's a very powerful and, you know, very well-trodden um, character trope and storyline. But for me, it's always very powerful. And I think they very much focused on that kind of angle in this drama. Um, they definitely changed things at the end, which, you know, that's because they want to keep things fresh. It's a different movie. And maybe the Japanese ending was a little bit too dark. I don't know. Um, personally, uh, you know, I think I preferred, like, as I've said, I preferred the Japanese anime. I just think it was more solid and the ending really really crawled under my skin um but in saying that I think this Korean version is definitely well worth a watch it's got some crazy cool action it it's still a slow kind of like bleak affair but because it does have a lot of action and excitingness it's probably an easier movie to watch in that way a little bit more leaning towards like an action blockbuster than like a slow art house examination <laughs> of, you know, darkness, I think. Um, and obviously Kang Dong Wong, Kang Dong Won is amazing. He is an incredible actor. I like him so much, even though I feel like he's in a load of crap sometimes. I keep trying to watch his movies and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> he's only been in one Korean drama that I know of and I watched it uh, and it was... <laughs> <laughs> then came out in like the early 2000s and it was 1% of anything. I think it was pretty fucking terrible, but all I remember from it was back then, you know, these kind of really big, loosely cut suits were all the rage and Kang Dong Won is a pretty, you know, he's a tall, slim dude and he, I just remember him running up and down all these hotel hallways in that drama, 1% of anything, in these big floaty suits and he just looked like a big jellyfish running around, but 
Obviously, I liked him enough to start watching his movie, so he must be good in it and not just a big jellyfish. So anyway, I think if you're in the mood for a sort of thoughtful action movie that, you know, still has a lot of emphasis on bombastic action and has a very cool performance from Kang Dong-won, I think you should definitely give Il Young, The Wolf Brigade, a chance. So now it's time for something that I am absolutely loving this week. So this week I discovered a new podcast. Um, I think it's amazing. It's an amazing concept. There is so far only two episodes out. So I'm really, really hopeful that the creator decides to continue with the podcast consistently because it is so up my alley. So this is, it's called K History Pod. And if, if that isn't completely explanatory, <laughs> um, it is basically going to be an episode by episode um, exploration of Korean history, starting at, you know, freaking prehistoric times, or not quite, but, you know, the beginning of how people got onto the Korean Peninsula and what kind of groups they were in all the way through, um, eventually, you know, up into Joseon Dynasty and everything. But it's starting right from the very beginning. Um, the creator of it, I think, has done such a wonderful job. So each episode's only about just under 20 minutes, um, and she sort of melded in the early creation myths of Korean history in with the things that, you know, maybe historians know to be true and the things they're not sure about um, into, a, you know, a very easy bite-sized package to um, kind of consume as a listener. I think it's excellent if you have any interest in Korean history, like I do, I think that stuff's fascinating. I so hope the podcast continues. You should definitely go and check out this podcast. It is a very easy listen because each episode isn't even that long um, and it is called K-History Pod. Um, I'm not sure what platforms it's on but I'd imagine it'd be pretty much everywhere. It's definitely on Spotify which is where I listen. Um, so yeah, I really hope you go check that out and you know maybe even send them an email and <laughs> tell them to keep going with the podcast because it's very, very cool. <laughs> 